You're listening to Counterculture on RCR. This is Reality Check Radio. I'm your host, Marie Buskey, and this morning I have the great pleasure to introduce you social commentator, writer, host of the Deprogram podcast, and forager of old and interesting things, Carrie Smith. Welcome to Counterculture. Hi, Marie. What a great bio. I need to take that. Thank thank you for having me on your show. Oh, I'm so excited to have you. Carrie is very special to me because it was through your podcast that I came out as a wrong thinker. That's true. Uh, Which now they've expanded. They keep expanding who the definition of who's a wrong thinker. There's a lot more of us today than there were a year ago or two years ago. So I don't know. I think that's kind of a good thing. The more people who be, who become put in the category of, of blasphemer, the better, because eventually there'll be more of us than them. It is growing though. Gosh, we've been in communication with each other now for more than four years. In that time, it's really interesting to see how uh, the landscape has changed. I mean, there were so few voices back then, and you were one of the early voices. Now, your history and road to this is fascinating. Tell us a little bit more about that. I spent 20 years, more than 20, a little more than 20 years as a, in the social justice world, in the woke world. So anyone who knows my podcast knows that story, but I, you know, I was a true believer. I I got indoctrinated is the way I think of it now at Duke university in the late nineties. And uh, I really believed that social justice or now it's most often called woke um, colloquially, but I really believed that that ideology was what it claimed to be, that it was a kind of progressivism, a natural extension of liberalism, that it was about ending oppression and ending racism and sexism and homophobia and all the isms and, you know, ending bigotry. And so I brought that from university into my work. I worked in entertainment. I worked with comedians. I managed comedians. And then I um, produced some concert specials and television shows and helped them put books out into the world and other other albums and things like that. But so I did that. I brought it into my work because I primarily worked with, once I started my own company my with my business partner, who was a music manager, I got to choose which comedians I represented and worked with and pitched television projects with. And so for the most part, I worked with comedians who shared my ideology and, and infused it into their work. Comedians like Margaret Cho and W. Kamel Bell and and others. And so I was an executive producer on what I consider to be one of the first woke late night shows, totally biased with W. Kamel Bell. And I say first woke, it wasn't the first left leaning late night show by any means. Almost all the late night comedy shows are left leaning. It's just that it was the first one that was explicitly woke, not just liberal. And woke is very different than liberal. Uh, woke is basically social justice is an ideology that's that's about looking at people as group members, as members of a group. It's collectivist, just like white supremacy is collectivist. It says the best way to look at the world is as a competition for power between identity groups. And so it judges everyone not as an individual, but as a member of all these different groups. Like you you are a white person and you're straight and you're a woman. And, you know, and so it just, there's these endless number of groups that they put people in and they divide them all up into oppressor and oppressed. And so the, the way in which woke or social justice tells us to, we have to, we have to behave in the world is to treat people, judge people and treat people differently on the basis of these identity groups. 
until we reach equality. And that's, you know, it sounds now that I'm outside of it, when I try and explain it to people, it sounds crazy, but of course that's not the way it's presented to you. It's presented to you slowly. Like, Hey, um, racism isn't what you thought it was, you know, judging people by race and judging some races as superior and some as inferior racism is actually prejudice plus power. Did you know that? And so some groups don't have power and they, therefore they can't be racist and other groups have power. And that means it's impossible to be racist towards them because they have all the power. And so it, it starts by changing definitions and by changing definitions, it gets people to change the way they think. Um, anyway, I'm kind of, this is a, a long story. I'm trying to, how did I start doing podcasts? Well, and we can get into whichever parts of this you want to, but after I finally left social justice, which again, took me two decades to see what it really was quite a long time. Um, coming out of it was kind of traumatic in some ways because it's like leaving a cult and leaving your whole social network and professional network and your whole way of looking at the world is changed. And so I started podcasting because it took to kind of try and help make sense of social justice, not just for myself, make better sense of what I had been in, but also to help people out there, whoever they may be, understand it better because it became culturally dominant. Like I never thought it would become. So the 2016 election, I think was quite a watershed moment for you, wasn't it? And I think it was a watershed moment for the ideology as a whole. It was one of those first moments where it, for people who weren't really aware of it, it crept out of the shadows a wee bit more and was more visual day to day. Would you concur with that? I absolutely agree because I heard things during that campaign season that I had never heard mainstream politicians, mainstream journalists say before. A lot of the social justice stuff, words and phrases, part of our lexicon, the woke lexicon that we had been speaking for a long time, but had not made it to the mainstream yet. I suddenly started seeing signs. Oh my goodness. It's in the mainstream. I remember, I remember the first time I heard Hillary Clinton during that campaign cycle use the phrase implicit bias. And I'm like, I can't believe a presence, a presidential candidate saying that that's such a woke word or phrase. Like that's, and now it seems like so, of course, they've said so much more woke shit since then, like so much has happened since then. But at the time that was startling to me. I was like, oh, it's reached, it's reached the big time. And um, during that campaign cycle, that's kind of when I first started waking up because there were so many things that were happening. I think because the Trump running really caused the ideology to double down in some ways and the people who push it to double down. And so a lot of the things that I had been brushing off or writing off as like, that's just a bug. That's not a feature of the ideology. Um, I started to realize, no, this is a feature of the ideology because it was coming out of the shadows more and I could see more of it. I could see it more clearly. For example, I started seeing, uh, I went down this rabbit hole of videos on YouTube of people on my side leftists attacking Trump supporters at rallies and stuff at multiple rallies and bloodying them, chasing them down, throwing bricks at them, throwing eggs at them. And just this crazy behavior and violent behavior. And I wasn't aware that had been happening, first of all. But second of all, I was like, this isn't what I thought we stood for, like violence, because 
just because you don't agree with them. And, and then I started thinking, oh my goodness, also the narrative I've been fed by the media I consume and in my social networks and everything I had whittled down to just this very leftist worldview, the media I consumed had left me, I think purposefully had left me with the impression that it was like Trump supporters who were violent. And so then I started trying to search out, like, can I find these same kind of videos, but with Trump supporters initiating the violence? And I couldn't. I found like one of some guy who got taken out of a, a rally who like tried to take a swing at someone or something, but nothing like that. Nothing where mobs and crowds of people were chasing others, chasing individuals and throwing rocks at them or hitting them or, you know, taunting them, throwing eggs at them, cornering them. I didn't find anything like that. And so that started to, that was a real crack in the foundation of my beliefs that set me off. That was one of, there were several things that happened that sort of, I think, put me on this path of trying to make sure I really did have an accurate understanding of the world and the best way to be in the world. But that was one of them that kind of just shattered a lot of the illusions I had. One of the biggest changes in critical social justice in recent years is too, I think, has been COVID. COVID and the lockdowns was almost like a, it's almost like a Trojan horse that allowed the ideology to slip in literally into people's homes, into their devices, into their screens as they were locked down and had nowhere else to go. Did you find that? Did you feel that? So for me and for a lot of people, the, the 2016 election of Trump is was sort of our our breaking point. That's when we started to see the, the man behind the curtain or you know more of what the ideology really was. But I know other people who did not wake up then, who did not wake up until the COVID years, progressives who woke up during the COVID years because they're real progressives and they are anti-big pharma, imagine that. And they're anti-corporation and anti-authoritarian. Yeah. And so it's, it's some those of, old hippies that forgot that they were old hippies that all of a sudden yes. remembered that they were old hippies during yes. COVID. Bill yes. Maher would be a good example of that. Absolutely. And I know a lot of those people who that was their waking up moment was COVID. It, it, the election didn't do it. The the social justice stuff didn't do it, but it was it was the uh, response to COVID and then and then the government response to COVID. And then if, what you're talking about was some of the, I think, side effects of the COVID measures are that we were all at home. We were all on our screens more. Yes, we we're all on our devices more. And I think maybe that ramped social justice up even more because everyone's on online a lot more and relying on online communication. And that's where this stuff just thrives. And also to a bit in the other side of that as well, it was education. I mean, it had been seeping into curricula but through various school boards. So for our listeners in New Zealand, things here are very linear, as we know. So we have an education department. It rolls everything out to the curriculum to the nation. Well, if you can imagine New Zealand's model, but you multiply that not only 50 times, like they have in the United States, but I think school boards um, and the curriculum, is it set at a state level or is it set at a county level? Uh, state level, I think. State level, yeah. yeah. So imagine 50 um, New Zealand's education system, but 50... 50 different flavors as you would mm. as you would say depending from state to state i think a lot of parents got to see some of the things that were sneaking into the curriculum at schools that certainly yes. scared them so that was in a way i think a woke breaking point for many of those parents like the virginia mothers i think was a really great example of that do you could you talk about around that a little more oh yeah moms for liberty and moms for liberty is one of the many grassroots organizations that 
that's come up in the past few years. Gays Against Groomers is another one. These sort of grassroots movements of people who are just fed up and who've woken up. It's almost like in the in the case of Moms for Liberty, you know, there's that analogy of you disturb the mama bear. <laughs> like now she's awake now and sees what you're doing. But yeah, I think you're right. A lot of parents, because their kids were at home and maybe doing Zoom classes and the parents had a lot more oversight and a window into what their kids were learning. A lot of them started to become aware of the woke stuff. And so Moms for Liberty has groups all over the country now in different states and they get called all kinds of names. I know like here in Texas, I'm in some of the Facebook groups just to see like what they're, even though I'm not a mom, just to see what they're up to and what they're talking about and doing. And, you know, they get called right wingers and they're not all conservatives. They get called like we all do all the wrong thinkers get called all kinds of names, but they've had success in running candidates for school board. Um, and, and otherwise like they've had great rallies. And I think most of all, they're just kind of like walk away was when these groups form, I think it's a good way to meet like-minded people and realize you're not alone. Yeah. Gays against groomers is similar in that way where it's like, Oh, okay. I imagine for gay people or trans people who find that group and who are thinking, what's wrong with me? Am I the only one that think this thinks this has gotten out of control? And then you meet, find a group like that and you're like, okay, okay. It's not just me. Like everyone's noticing this. Yeah, so. it's it's interesting you say that. I did an interview recently with a, a journalist here in New Zealand, and she is lesbian, and she was cancelled because she's very critical of trans ideology. And she mm. actually wrote a piece about it in our largest broadsheet five years ago. They published it, not really realising the backlash. And of course, the woke community came out, pushed back very mm. ferociously against that. She said, oh, okay. So then she wanted to print something else and they wouldn't let her. She has now sort of been cleaved from the herd to go out and die in the media wilderness, as it were. But she is incredible. And she said the same thing. She said, look, she said, I I'm a lesbian. I don't think this way. And I know others that don't. So mm -hmm. it's, and since we aired that show, that we've had feedback through to the station of other people in exactly that same situation. And we're like, yeah. oh, I'm so glad to hear that. We, we, th yeah. we thought we were the only ones that thought that way. Yeah, that's so nice. Well, because they, they do a great job of this, this ideology, the people who believe in it, you know, like I moved into entertainment after college, right? A lot of my cohorts who were picking this stuff up, stuff up in college around the same time in the late nineties, they moved into tech companies, big social companies like Google, Snapchat, et cetera, Facebook. Um, they moved into journalism. They moved into entertainment like me. They moved into politics, some of them. They moved into education. So our generation like took it into the workplace and took it to all these places. And and the people who believe in it, still believe in it and push it, have done a really great job convincing everyone for a while now, uh, getting away with you know convincing everyone that they speak for women and they speak for black people and they speak for gay people and they speak for trans people and they don't speak for anyone except those who believe in the ideology <laughs> like mm. like they don't speak for these identity groups they claim to speak yeah. for and so it's really nice when you break out of that and you're like oh okay it's not just that i'm a weirdo woman who's somehow because they have words for you if you if you are one of if you're a member of a marginalized group and you and you don't go along with the ideology anymore and, and they're like oh well you've become internally misogynistic carrie and like have i no <laughs> like no or you've become you know a gay person you're internally homophobic 
they call my friend my carlo he's a part of gazing at screamers they call him anti-lgbt and he's like but i'm gay and so he's like now he's just started saying you know what i am (laughs) anti-lgbt he's like i'm not anti-gay people or lesbians or bisexuals or transgenders but i'm anti-lgbt and what that's come to represent sure go ahead i hate he's like i hate the alphabet yeah well rachel Rachel reckons there needs to be a divorce between the lgbs and and everybody else she goes we want a divorce (laughs) so i can completely understand it's interesting what you say you know when you came through in the 90s and these people have moved out to these organizations we certainly see it here in our media at that age let's talk a little bit about entertainment and comedy because comedy is one it used to be funny yeah (laughs) what what happened (laughs) well I took it into my career which was working in comedy and lots of people did took it into entertainment and what have you for most of the time that I was working comedy woke was not the dominant ideology and actually I was talking with someone recently, oh, this past weekend I was at an event and I was talking with this guy who's entertainment a little bit about this. It's so funny. The entertainment world, maybe maybe culture in general, but especially in the entertainment world, they tend to do things in extremes. And so when I, for a long time when I was working in it, I noticed instances of sexism, absolutely, and racism, absolutely. There's sort of this bias built in where a lot of management companies or agencies, you know, they'd be like, um, if they had black talent, for example, they'd be like all black talent agency, mm. or they'd have like one. And then like, or, or if you have more than one, then sometimes actors or the comedians would get competitive. There were even jokes about that. It's really funny, you know, of like, you know, there can be only one on the roster kind of thing. And so, and then there were also, you know, with a lot of casting calls and stuff, it was always, you know, white characters or the black characters or the gay characters would kind of be like the the um, side characters, like the friends or the friends of the main characters kind of thing. And what happened in Hollywood, though, I think happened in general and culture when Woke took over is that it's like, okay, well, let's go from this one extreme that's sort of an old boys network with some of these built-in, you know, prejudices. And let's go to the extreme opposite other extreme where now you won't get hired. They'll even say management talent companies like I can't do anything with a white man right now. Like don't even bother give me a res- there's nothing for white men. I've even heard from writers assistants who typically the the way it works in if you're if you're on a TV writing staff and you're writers assistant and you do a good job when a space opens up on the writing staff itself you get the promotion and then they get a new writer's assistant. Like that's the way it's always worked. But now I've heard writer from writer's assistants who are straight white men who are like, I've been passed over three times and they've brought in outside writers and they've literally told me, I'm sorry, we just, we still can't add another straight white guy to the, to the writer's room right now. Like they'll say that it's because you're white and male. It's not for any other reason. It's not that you're not a good writer, writer's assistant. It's not that you haven't been doing a good job. It's that we just can't the demographics the way imagine it looks. 20 years yeah. ago if they said to that writer's assistant look we just can't we just can't hate another black man into the writing team right now right <laughs> right so they go on the totally opposite extreme that's the whole problem with woke in general and that's why i say it's very similar to things like white supremacy because it's just the other side of the same coin and you don't cure collectivism with collectivism you don't cure like sexism with sexism or racism with racism you just don't do that like could we get to a place of individualism where we're just looking at people's merits we're looking at their character and their merits and their talent and their hard work and that's it and you know woke says no woke says we have to make up for all the years that we were looking at sex and race 
by looking at sex and race, but from this other <laughs> angle. And it's like, how about we just don't look at it anymore? And, you know, as a woman, I don't want to be overlooked because of my sex. And I don't want to be picked because of my sex. Mm. Neither. I don't want it to be an issue. No, you but, want to be selected on your merit. Yes. How condescending and insulting. No. When, when the fact that this has become so popular that, that our president, when he announced he was going to be selecting a vice president soon, and he said, I'm going to be choosing a woman, or I think he might have said woman of color, or I think he said woman. Either way, how offensive. When you finally, if, if I were that person that he selected and then you finally get it, it's like, wow, thanks for telling the world that you're picking the best of the women. Like, yeah. like what, just why not just pick the bat? Am I the best or not? No, you're the mm. best of the women. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I got off subject. Sorry. What was that question about comedy? No, it was in regards to comedy. You know, yeah. I don't think it's any surprise that it's comedians that are leading the charge against this ideology. I mean, I think, you know, I mean, you worked in comedy. I look at uh, Francis Foster and Constant Kissin. I look at Russell right. Brand, um, even the likes of Bill Maher, Jimmy yeah. Dore, Dave Chappelle, bless his heart. I mean, he's Dave Chappelle, Ricky Gervais, Ricky Gervais, John Cleese. Yeah. There are a lot of them who are speaking out against it. So what happened in comedy, like I was trying to explain, happened in the rest of entertainment. And so when woke became dominant, like after we did our show, we did the show totally by us on FX. And then, it, and then it, they moved it to FXX. We were an explicitly woke show. The host was my client, Debbie Kamal Bell. Several of the writers and the writing staff were my clients. Um, all of pretty much all, most of the writers were woke. Um, our other executive producer was Chris Rock, who is not woke. And so there was a lot of headbutting because we would literally in the writer's room have arguments about, is this punching up or punching down? You can't make this joke about Chris Christie, even though we don't like him because he's a Republican and we're all on the left and he's evil because he's on the right, but we can't make this joke because it's a fat joke and making fat jokes is punching down. And Chris Rock is just like, we're just do the funny thing, <laughs> you know? So it's like, that was a lot of the writer's room was debate over the ideology and putting the ideology first. And so then a lot of shows started, woke became more popular, more culturally dominant. And then suddenly you have comedians who had never done woke stuff before also doing woke stuff to get TV shows. There were several short-lived uh, comedy series after hours. Uh, one was Jim Jeffries had a short-lived show that was like suddenly Jim Jeffries, Jim Jeffries is woke. Are you kidding me? And he was, he was preaching all this stuff. I don't happen to think he was a sincere believer, but he was doing it for the show. He was speaking this ideology for the show. Moshe Kasher had a woke show, a short-lived woke show. Like it was the thing to do. But the and theme there is short-lived. Yes. Cause it's not funny. No. <laughs> I mean, you comment, are you guest on a lot of other shows, particularly around culture, popular culture. I want to sort of touch on this a little bit because it's, but as you said, this has been sort of seeping into those areas now for a number of years and the financial implications of that are now starting to bite. So Disney would be a great example. I think they were one of the first to go explicitly woke and they are now seeing viewers leave in droves. What are some of the changes that you that you're starting to see that the whole go woke go broke concept, particularly in entertainment? 
Well, I think that they're a lot of these companies, they're not putting the bottom line first because that's not what happens when you have ideologues running things. Like look at Bud Light. I don't know if you've seen the interview with their marketing person or she's now the VP of Bud Light and she's completely and thoroughly woke. She has nothing to say about the beer or the brand other than these very um, cliche woke things about like, we need to make it more inclusive and light and inclusive of women and LGBT. And okay, what do you know about Bud Light? (laughs) <laughs> and, and those who and, actually drink it and those who actually drink it and she's and at one point she says uh you know well bud light just had this really negative like fratty brand and it's like yeah it has a fratty brand you know why because it's a really cheap shitty beer and frat boys buy it and they drink it that's who drinks it fratty that's why it's fratty <laughs> like you that's who drinks it she just doesn't it's like she knows that it's fratty but doesn't understand why like you don't get the brand and she doesn't care to get the brand because she, she's there to infuse wherever she's at happens to be bud light right now with woke ideology that's what they do they're like it's like a little parasite that comes in and takes over and if you get enough people like her in high enough positions making money Staying the number one brand of beer is not important to those people. Inclusivity is more important. The ideologies, preaching is more important, right? Being, they all believe they're on the right side of history. I happen to think they're on the wrong side of history, but yeah, they think they're on the right side of history and that's the most important thing to them. And so these big entertainment companies like Disney, same thing. If you get a lot of woke people in powerful positions, or at least people who are willing to speak woke, then making money and being successful isn't the priority anymore. And it's not going to be the priority again until they face enough losses. Like right now they're living off the largesse of what they used to be. And if when they hurt bad enough in terms of sales, layoffs, I know Disney just had a bunch of layoffs. Um, that's the only thing I think that pain is what's going to cause them to start looking at the bottom line again and listening to some of the criticisms about their content. Um, there's in those layoffs like right across entertainment as you said disney um google's laid a whole bunch of people off i think apple meta uh you said buzzfeed today buzzfeed yeah buzzfeed overnight is just is closing its newsroom i mean all these people need to go somewhere in the workforce i do wonder you know is there enough work jobs for them and if there isn't enough work jobs for them do they then gain grace and humility by re-entering the real world I, I hope so. I, you know, there's that joke of learn to code, which is what they used to say to working class people who are laid off. You know, all the journalists would say learn to code. Well, I think a lot of working class people enjoy saying learn to code when all of these elite make work people lose their jobs because we run out of the largesse and we run out of the ability to pay people a six figure salary to do nothing. <laughs> like in some cases, nothing but push ideology. Um, no, I would love it if they have to learn. I mean, what there's going to be, if we, if we face an economic collapse, which is going to be awful, awful for so many people, but I almost think that I've been thinking for a while now that might have to happen to thoroughly wring this bad ideology out of our culture. It might, again, when things get painful, that's when you are forced back into reality and you have to deal with reality right now. We don't live in reality. We live in a world. We live like kings. My pastor says, like, think about the way we live. I was talking with you before we started recording about the renovations on our house. Okay. He's like, if you look at all of human history and the way humans have lived through all cultures and all time, we are so blessed. This particular time in history and where we live um, geographically in the West, we have, we can go and we have running water. You can flush a little thing and 
indoor plumbing and we have heating and air in our homes and we have, we can go outside and pick oranges from a tree if we want, you know, oranges are so rare in Renaissance paintings. They would put them in the painting to show how rich a family was. If they had oranges, we are like orange, <laughs> you know, like we, we live like royalty and we don't even realize it. That's why we have all these manufactured problems of ideology, all this, are you punching up or down? And like, did you misgender this person? And what is your, you know, all these stupid things that this ideology causes people to focus on. If we get thrust back into the real world uh, because of economic collapse, those things will go away quickly. That's one of the, mm. in a way, it could be a silver lining because you have people grapple with reality again. I've often said to people that wokeism is an ideology of affluence. It can yes, only it survive is. in an affluent environment. It absolutely can only survive in an affluent environment. You're not going to see people in the third world. I lived in Tanzania for a while, a long time ago in 1999. And you're not going to see people in Tanzania <laughs> talking about any of this crap. Whether or not a fat joke punches up or punches down. Yes, none of this crap. Because people have much more immediate concerns. And yeah, it is a, it is an ideology of the affluent. And it is, my pastor a lot of times calls it, you know, people try and describe the culture war in a lot of ways. He says, it's a war on reality at the end of the day. And it is. Sometimes I, I wish I could just explain to people who are still in it, reality will win. Yes. Like one way or another, reality will win. Mother nature will win. And I hope things don't have to get so bad for that to happen. But can you imagine uh, in an economic collapse if all of these, I don't know if you ever read World War Z, not the movie, but the book, <laughs> you know, it's in this apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic future. And all the people who um, have do skilled labor are now at the top of society because they know how to do things like plumbing and fixing an, in a car engine and stuff. And all of the, like the equivalent of the woke elite upper class are basically forced to be like their maids and stuff because they don't they don't have any hard skills and there's no like there's no computers <laughs> like what are you gonna do there so. was a show actually i my husband and i watched it because uh, we, we we found that we've started watching a lot of television uh that is sort of pre-2010 we kind of found that 2010 was when things started to sort of tip over a little bit and we quite like digging around for really old stuff just to see particularly the british stuff the story writing and there's a, mm. a show called survivor the Wait, survivors survivors and oh i love it, that show and from that, the 1970s one of my, one of my favorite favorite show. wait a minute 1970s yeah so it's 1970s and it's set when there was a sickness and illness a, a, like yeah. a plague that came across the united kingdom and killed yes. it was like a cold and it killed everybody really quickly but it was made in 2008 right no it was the, oh. no, it's made and set and filmed in the 70s okay so real quick just so we're on the same page they remade it then because i saw the 2008 <gasps> series 2008 to 2010 Max Beasley's in it and oh well I need to look up the new it's one a remake it's a remake right, then. we were yeah okay. and and in that it was um so being British as you can imagine but it showed exactly those things that one of the pivotal characters was going to look for his son because he was away at school and she wanted to see with if she had survived she wondered maybe that her son had survived too so she set on off on this road 
journey to try and find her son and she finally gets to his um you know very english boarding school and finds this old professor there who was incapacitated and he then explained he said you need to go out there and create new communities and it will be those that have the skills that can survive and i mean she was you know a mother you know a very english country mother and so she realized that what she did have was incredible organizational skills and she could bring people together so that's what she did and it was just amazing because it was a even the beginning credits was about a scientist that had brought a virus over and the virus had escaped and it was just like oh it's mm. look it up I, we found it on youtube of all places okay so. i didn't know there was a 1970s version that's so funny i'm gonna watch it because i loved the 2008 to 2010 version and i was very sad when it ended and they didn't it sort of ended like a, too early it's one of those series i yeah. think maybe there were two seasons maybe three at most and it's a british show that's it's a remake how cool is that yeah <laughs> i love yeah, that show. i mean we had the posy parker in incident here yeah and for us that certainly seeped into the consciousness of a lot of people who were asleep good do you think that the trans arm of this ideology is going to be the proverbial straw that broke the woke camel's back? I think it could be because it's because of the nature of what it is, because of the nature of, you know, I saw a meme today that said, if a man wants to pretend he's a woman, that's up to him. If a man wants us to pretend he's a woman, that's up to us. At the end of the day, it comes down to, and I'm not talking about trans people. I want to be very clear. I'm talking about trans ideology. And a lot of people who push trans ideology are not even trans. Okay. You don't speak for trans people. So quit pretending to. Trans ideology currently, what it's saying is that if a man wants to say he's a woman and live as a woman, you have to, everyone else has to comply in these ways. Their speech has to be compelled in this way. They have to uh, change their lives in this way. And I don't think there's any other example, any other identity group under the big woke social justice umbrella um, that is exactly the same as that because it's a matter of identifying as something that you're not. And so far, woke has not tolerated transracial people. I wonder if they'll ever cross that bridge. But so far, like people like Rachel Dolezal and stuff, they've said no, they've rejected it. However, if you apply their, <laughs> if they were to apply their arguments um, in an intellectually honest way, they would have to accept transracial people because it's what you identify as, right? When they don't do that. So currently right now, this is the only thing. And so, yeah, I guess it could be. I guess it could be the thing. Nobody likes to see video footage of tall biological men dominating biological women in any way whether they're shouting them down in a mob like like posey parker or whether they are towering over them on the uh first place you know pedestal at a swimming competition like leah thomas and dwarfing the women they're competing against like physically that's a very startling image to see to see that well one of the swimmers that have spoken out about the leah thomas involvement in, in swimming has been Riley Gaines and she yes. actually swims I think in the same events as Thomas mm -hmm. now she experienced a pretty awful incident yes. just recently 
So tell, walk us through that. She was at a university. She was there to speak on behalf of, I think a conservative group had invited her and it's, we saw much the same as we've seen with Posey Parker. It's like, they're not content to let people speak who disagree with them. Um, they go beyond, see, here's the, I was just explaining this to someone, my opinion on this anyway, boycotts. I have no problem with boycotts or protests. No problem at all. Uh, they're great. Engage in them. I have before I might again at some point, who knows, <laughs> but that's just a way of voting with your dollars and voting with your feet. Like if you say, I don't like this beer company any, mm. I don't like what they did, or I don't like this author or this swimmer, or their opinions or this writer, or this lecturer. I don't like what they have to say. So I am not going to spend my dollars and I'm not going to go to that event or buy that book or watch that movie or buy that beer. Right. Great. Send a message with your money. If you want to go a step further and say, and I'm going to show up at the event with a picket sign. Awesome. Let your voice be heard. But the minute that you go beyond voting with your feet and you try to cut other people's feet off, that's what cancel culture is. And they do that. They're not content just to stand there with the picket sign. They want to block the entrance so nobody who bought tickets can go. They want to bang on the walls so nobody who paid for tickets can hear. They're, they're not content with saying, I don't want to support this. They're, they want they want to go further and say, and none of you can support it either. I'm not going to let you. I'm not going to let you buy this book. I'm not going to let you hear this speaker. I'm not going to let you buy this album or this beer. That's where they go. And that's a disgusting, authoritarian, controlling place. And that's different than boycotts and protesting. I think in the case of, well, I'm getting a little off subject. What happened with Riley was something like that. They shut down her speech. She had to hide in the classroom for three hours on the phone with her husband. You know, she got hit several times by a man dressed as a woman. And I think the more that you see this out in the open, there, if anybody's in it who is a well-intentioned, like a really good-hearted person who thinks it's about liberalism and progressivism, I think the more they, those people see this or anyone who's on the fence about it, the harder it is for them to ignore the cognitive dissonance. It's like, wait a minute, though. Like with me, when I saw those videos of leftists attacking Trump supporters, it's like, I don't support this. Like, this mm. isn't what I thought we were about. And so, you know, that video of what happened to Posey Parker and the, the rally gain stuff, it's like, God bless those women and let that get out further and further so people see it and see this. No, this is not a bug. It's a feature of the ideology. It's interesting with women that we're letting this happen to ourselves. It seems okay to denigrate and almost erase women. Yeah. But as you said, they won't support transracial identifications. So not yet. <laughs> no, yeah, with the breaking point, I had, had a phone call with a cousin a few weeks ago, just after the, the Harker incident. Literally, the first words out of her mouth when I called was, "Is are they trying to erase women?" Yeah, and I was like, "Yes, yes, yes. they are." Even so. some of the I haven't followed it closely, but what's her name on the on the Young Turks? Is it Anna Kasparian or one of those leftist woke women? recently tweeted something about you know i am not a uterus haver or a birthing person or a person with a cervix i am a woman and the left her own her own side in quotes has been giving her hell for it for weeks mm. but i think for someone like her to say that that takes a lot and I, 
I think it's a sign of what's to come of more people on the left being like, wait a minute. You know? There are signs out there all the time. JK Rowling, what she has had yeah. to endure in the last couple of years on this and she has been strong very very strong on this with the amount of wealth that she had she's almost uncancelable i actually saw an article i think it was it was on a more left-leaning uh might have been even the guardian the headline was along the lines of um has jk rowling being uncancelled and it's because of her the new tv series and they've realized that they can't do this series which they are mm -hmm. desperate to do because they're needing the revenue they know harry potter is a cash cow but they know that to do the series they need to keep it completely faithful to the books and in order to do that they have to support have the support of rowling you won't see gender swapping of characters i would have thought i will be highly surprised if you see racial swapping of characters you know her characterizations were very very clear and she is now there at the table as a full voice after literally being locked out of yeah. so much over the few years to me that's a really positive sign that entertainment have realized yeah it's huge and yeah there are some people who can't be canceled i mean they'll try there was some venue i think in minneapolis or somewhere that canceled two of dave Chappelle's shows and everyone's like what how deeply uncool are you you're gonna cancel the goat of comedy because what you didn't like a joke he made in his special where he was actually talking positively about his transgender friend and you're too dumb to actually listen to it and see what he actually said and you're calling him transphobic and you're going to cave to a bunch of nobody no name act activists you know claiming they're going to boycott so you cave and you cancel the goat so some have tried but they just look like idiots i think and Chappelle, he's like jk rowling in that way he's too He's too much cultural capital and and too much money, but too much cultural capital. It's like you can't cancel him. No, and people try. are finding their voices too. I know Matt Walsh has been working about get, he's mm -hmm. really encouraging people around this bud light boycott and about sort of sending a message with your wallet to say, well, actually, yeah. this isn't okay. And that seems to be gaining traction if their uh, share price is anything to go by. And I spoke last week to Katie Hopkins and she's oh. in the United Kingdom and she's very outspoken and she's doing her tour at the moment. Venues are doing the same thing. She'll get these venues, she'll sell them out. Um, as she said, you know, decent sized theatres that for a comedy uh, stand-up event, she's selling them out and then the pressure will get applied the minute the gig is announced or closer to the time. The venues cave because they're too chicken to have her there. She said in some cases they don't even tell her. She'll find out from someone who's had ticket money refunded. But what has happened is now there is this whole underground, she said, movement of people who started communicating during the lockdowns who are saying, that's okay, um, we will find a venue. And they do these private venues, these underground venues, like as she said, like she's done some above a shop and in a basement and out in a barn and... And she's, you know, 300 people coming together, yeah. selling out in moments. Yeah. And she said, it is people, they're speaking out, they're coming, they're finding their voices the and they're parallel pushing economy. back. Yeah. yeah. And they're pushing back. I think, I think, like you said at the very beginning of this interview, there's things have changed a lot in the past four years. I think the COVID years have a lot to do with that. And there are more people all the time speaking up now. I know woke people now who they're still woke, but they're at least willing to say, 
<laughs> they've gotten to the point where the, they're at least saying now, like, well, some of it's gone a bit too far. And I'm not like those woke. I'm like, okay, <laughs> it's okay. I'll treat, you know, I know where you're at. Oh, you, you know, work what part with a little at. W. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't treat them any poorly or anything, but I just internally laugh a little bit about it because they don't realize yet. No, it's thoroughly, it's your ideology. It's not, they're at that place where they think it's still just a bug. And I had been there. So, you know, well, there's, it's gone a little too far. Some people have taken a little too far, you know, and that's a great sign. Some, some people I know who are still very woke, still proudly display the BLM stuff and, you know, they had they support all the right things in their profile pictures and everything right even they privately not online will make jokes about cultural appropriation stuff now which i'm like that's a sign you're not taking <laughs> it so sacred anymore like yeah. you know before we finish up, I want to talk a little bit about, you mentioned before your pastor, I want to talk a little bit about faith, because one of the things I've been exploring with the show is how faith has been under attack by this ideology, because it has replaced itself, uh, put itself in a replacement for those that carry faith. Now, you are someone who's come back to faith. So tell us just a little bit more about that journey, because I think it's quite fascinating. And it's, and I've certainly seen you grow during that time and how that gives you a direction and a compass. I am the last person that ever thought I would be a Christian. And I say that because I still have conversations with some very open-minded atheists sometimes, even on my wall last week, who are like, I love when you share stuff about your faith, Carrie, but just know that like that would never work for me and I'll never be religious. I'm like, okay, well, stranger things have happened. Good luck. Like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm not saying you will or won't. I don't know what's going to happen with you but I never thought I would be religious or Christian. And um, here I am. I think for me, it was just, here's, here's what I think. When you start searching for truth and meaning and purpose, I think it leads to one place. And I think that's to God. I think God is those things. God is truth. God is meaning. God is purpose. That's why sometimes I can have conversations with atheists like James Lindsay. I had him on my channel with my pastor to talk about woke and whether or not it's a spiritual war. And that was such a great conversation because mm, you have an atheist and a, pa and a Christian there, and they're both agreeing on a lot that James Lindsay, though he's an atheist, I think he speaks a lot of truth. And I think truth is God. And then there are Christians or people who profess to be Christians who, in my opinion, they're not speaking any truth. They're speaking lies. And Christianity for me is, it's a behavior system. It's not just a belief system. It's also a behavior system. It's a way to keep yourself in check when, and I, I'm not sure if all ideologies are behavior systems. I ha, I'm still thinking about that. Um, but I know Christianity, it's not just about what I believe it's about, it's about how you behave. And so I can, I can judge people by their behavior. And if, if someone who professes to be a Christian is not living that way and not speaking truth, it's like, I don't care what you call yourself, you're a wolf in, in sheep's clothes, clothing or worse yet, some of these woke preachers, they're shepherds in, in sheep's clothing. <laughs> and I've kind of gotten to the place where I, I think I believe that everyone worships something. And I know that I do get pushed back on that sometimes from atheist friends. And I understand why, and maybe I'm wrong, but I tend to think that if, if you're not sure what you worship, you can look at your behavior to figure it out maybe. And some of the people I've met who told me they don't worship everything, it's obvious to me, in some cases, people worship themselves, which is very common. 
very common in the society to worship ourselves. Or I have known people who worship their own ability to reason. And I think the blind spot there is that when the shit hits the fan, <laughs> you can reason your way into any kind of evil behavior. You can reason it out backwards. So if there's nothing bigger than yourself that holds you to a standard of behavior um, and you're your own God and your ability to reason is your own God, you can do things that you never thought and other people never thought you were capable of. The COVID yeah. years have just proven that to us really, haven't they? Yeah. Yeah. Cause you can reason it out and there's nothing higher that says, oh no, you never do this. And so Christianity provides that for me, something bigger than myself. That's like, no, this is the best way to live. And if I'm not living it, I'm aware of it. And it's not me setting the rules. I don't get to weasel my way out of it. Like, oh, well, let me rationalize this bad behavior because I've convinced myself that this person is bad and they deserve it or, or what have you. Like there's no, there's none of that. It's, you know, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, don't backstab, don't betray, don't, um, don't murder, don't, it's very clear yeah. <laughs> like, and so um i i kind of love that about it and and you'll find that uh, we humans like we can creatively try and get around these things even as christians i mean christians sin we sin it's just that you know if you have a relationship with god i think i think god's like they're knocking on your door when you're sinning and you have to <clears throat> really um try and ignore him it, my experience as a Christian is, is that it's much more obvious to me when I'm doing something wrong, that I can't justify it to myself like I used to be able to. But the impetus is still there. I'll give you a quick anecdote. This is one I've used before. One of my gig jobs, I drive a van. Uh, I won't go into the details of what the job is, but it's a crazy luxury very tall van. And I drove it once through a car wash. It was too big for that car wash. And I squished it on in there like Scooby-Doo, just gunned it. I didn't know it wouldn't fit. <laughs> and I got stuck. I had to like gun it to get it out. Right. And so then I get it out and the whole top of the van is peeled off like a, like a can of tuna. It's terrible. I'm like, okay, I have to call my boss immediately. Like I know I'm going to have to pay thousands in damages for the van. Right. Because I was dumb enough to fit it into this car wash that it didn't fit into. But then I noticed the car wash itself. It was one of those like gas station car washes and the top of the car wash had fallen off. It like <gasps> broke the car wash. I seriously, I stopped and I looked around. I didn't see any cameras. And I was thinking, oh, and my rationalizing brain, my human brain, my ego, my, my flesh, as Christians call it, that part of me, the Adam part of me was like, um, you know, it's a big corporation. They probably got insurance. Like, I don't need to also pay for fixing the car wash. Like, I want to know, just get back in the van and drive it and just, you know. So I had already told my boss what happened. I already knew I was on the hook for, obviously was going to be on the hook for fixing the van. I was like, I seriously got back in that van and started to drive away. And God was like, hello. Like God was like, Hody, there's a word. <laughs> there's a word in Swahili that you, it's a word for hello when you are at someone's door. Like they have a lot of different words for hello. And the one for when you're at someone's door is Hody. And I really felt like that was a Hody moment where God's like, Hody, like I'm here. And <laughs> like you're you're about to you're about to do something wrong. And I I had to get out, stop the van. I had to get out of the van and I had to go inside the car wash and be like, hello, I just 
drove my van through your car wash and broke it. Here's my information. That was Christianity in practice. I'm not saying this to toot my own horn or pat myself on the back. Quite the opposite, in fact. The point is that you, all humans, I think, will have these moments where they're tempted to rationalize something or justify something or, oh, it's just a white lie or it's just this or it's just that. And no, I feel like Christianity keeps me on path where that becomes, you know, because of the fear of what could happen. I don't even know what could happen. For example, one other quick anecdote, I have a friend who, who's not a believer and we were talking once about this thing he didn't want to do or I didn't want to do. That's what it was. And and he was saying, well, you could just say X, Y, Z, come up with this excuse, right? And I said, no, I can't. I can't do that. I can't tell a white lie. I just have to be honest and say I don't want to do it. Like, I, I know that sounds really strict and crazy, but I don't know what the repercussions are of me telling a white lie. And where does that go? And mm. not just spiritually, but practically, pragmatically, white lies might lead to other white lies and they might lead to other ones and you know what i mean it also comes back to the fact that the truth will always set you free yes and even if you as a human and i as a human don't believe that and i not sometimes and think oh that's how could telling the truth telling the truth in this situation is going to be terrible and it's going to hurt people or it's going to do this or it's going to do that or whatever and it's so scary that's what faith is faith says you don't have to understand it you don't have to understand it. You just have to do it. And there's so many times where now as a Christian, where I've taken a leap of faith that I don't understand. And then later, if I'm lucky, God helps me to understand it better. And I look back and say, oh, like I get why that terrible thing happened now. Or I get why when I prayed for this one thing, the answer you gave me was no, <laughs> because yeah. there was this bigger yes that was coming or, you know, it's, it's hard to explain, but I just, I felt like faith has helped me walk through that stuff. And, and, it, and when people, I, I know I sound like a weird Jesus person now, but it's really like, it's a relationship with God. I, I used to not understand that. I thought that was just a word people use, but now I'm like, I get it because the longer that goes on and the more trials I get through, if I walk in faith, the more I feel like I'm starting to understand it a little better. Like, okay, this is the way it works. And this is the way to pray. And this is the way to think of God maybe a little better than I was before, or to think of prayer maybe a little better than I did before. My husband and I feel like we're on this path together. And as long as we stay on the path and we're, we're both aware that it could be very easy to get off the path. And so a big part of our prayers are just like, help us stay on the path, help us not put anything above you, not even each other, like God first then our spouse, then ourselves, right? Like I don't ever, I have made the mistake of putting myself or other people, especially other people ahead of God. And it always, always knocks me on my ass. So <laughs> just like, like, I don't want to be knocked on my ass anymore. I, I want to just keep it right. I know I'm rambling, Marie. But. No, not at all. I just, I've, I've been wanting to sort of bring this theme in because I just, it is one of the patterns that I'm certainly seeing. There are a lot of Christians who have woken up to the ideology a lot earlier. And again, I, d I want to make sure that a lot of them don't feel alone. Something real quick, because yeah. I mostly talked about Christianity there as like, as a personal behavior system, but 
to, to your bigger point about the ideology, I know so many people now like myself who've opened their mind and their heart to the possibility of God when, without even realizing they had closed it for a long time and opened it up because they're able to see all the evil in the world right now. And sometimes I think that's necessary. The evil, if you get to a place where you can see the darkness and the evil, then it's, then sometimes that pushes you to look for the light and the truth. I know that sounds cliche, but it's really what I've seen happen with people who are like, there's gotta be a guy. Cause man, they're out here trying to mutilate children, <laughs> you know, like yeah. what, what are we going to do? And, and I'm like, there's a Bible verse about God is near to the brokenhearted. Like when you call out, sometimes that's the only, if you're stubborn, like me, if you're stubborn, that might be your only opportunity to find God is if things get dark enough that you're like humbled enough to say, I need help. I don't know what is happening. Like there must be a God, there must be something out there. Please speak to me. It's a great place to leave it. I'd like, I'd like to leave things in a way in a positive note in the sense that, as you said, sometimes all you need to do is ask. Yeah. So where can people find you? Where can our listeners, if they want to dive into a little bit more Carrie Smith, they didn't know who you were, where can they find you? You can find me on YouTube at Deprogrammed with Carrie Smith. It's K-E-R-I. Pretty much all of my handles on social media, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, it's, it's real Instagram, real Carrie Smith, R-E-A-L-K-E-R-I Smith. And um, if you're in the Texas area, which is a very large area. So if you were anywhere in Texas and you want to make the drive, my husband's a musician and we've started opening up our house that we're renovating for um, house home, home concerts, house concerts, like old old school kind of salon style concerts. And so every show is a little bit different. He brings in different musicians, a different style of music. We've had an opera singer. We've had country bluegrass. We're about to do a Latin music night. And if you want more info about that and you're in Texas, um, just email me. It's deprogrammedpod at gmail.com. Thank you so much, <laughs> Carrie. I really appreciate it. A massive thank you to Carrie Smith for her time and inspiring story. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Email me at inbox at realitycheck.radio or you can now use the new and improved tech system. Just text your comment to 2057. That's it. Easy peasy. That's 2057. You've been listening to Counterculture with Marie Busky. Reality Check Radio. Radio. Radio.